Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Ooh, that is loud in my earphone. It's better now. It's just the mirror. Oh, okay. Happy Mids. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Word on the Hill. A special edition of The Word on the Hill, because it's not a Sunday, but it's Christmas. Which is very important. Which, Absolutely, dude, it's, guys. It's tr- Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for us in the, in the uh, clergy business. In the clergy business. Yeah, because Christmas is on a Friday this year. Yep. So that makes it tricky for you. Dude, next year? It's going to be cray. Two so, years from now, right? No, no, no. It, next year, it's like the best. Oh. It's on a Sunday. Oh, so everything works out. But this year, it's... Anyway, uh, it's, yeah. Enough about the, that. Enough about... Let's not look to the future. Let's no. look to now. Absolutely. So we, um, we're going to do the readings, um, and we're going to do the readings for Midnight Mass today. Right? Is that where we, where we landed? Because really, most most priests, let's just be honest, brothers, you just do midnight mass for all of your mass. Is that legit? Can you do that? I don't know if it's actually legit. I I, I do it for the four thirty, the seven thirty. So the, the four thirty is going to be midnight mass readings. Yeah, okay, I was curious because I thought it was all the time. Well, because like it's not the because the vigil mass is a different. Well, it's it's the readings. kids it's the kids mass and the readings for. Um, the readings for it are the uh, genealogy oh my, from Matthew. Come on now, dude. Zerubbabel got Shealtiel. And dude, and you you try to keep any kid's attention through that, and any adult's attention. Let's just well, be yeah, honest about the this. The kids are the least of your problems, dude. I did it the other day at mass, and I did it with such vigor and enthusiasm. It was really fun. The genealogy, uh huh. Nice work, and uh, and it was really beautiful. And then I preached about it, and everybody's like, "That was profound." So I have a very special shout out. Yo, 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 for yo. This, for this podcast. And I might repeat it in case people didn't listen to this one for Sunday because it's that special. So our friend, I think you know John Ayers. Yeah. You know our friend John Ayers, who's just a heck of a good guy. Okay. Um, he worked at Camp Boytiwa a couple of years ago. He lives down in the Springs. He is being deployed actually today to Afghanistan. Oh, I think uh, he actually thought all of his tours were done. He had this one kind of spring up on him. So he's going out to Afghanistan today. Um, he is one of the holiest men that I know. Um, and he is an avid listener. He listens all the time. He actually requested a shout out today for someone else, um, which is just kind of beautiful. <laughs> so I want to give a, a friend to his friend uh, a shout out to his friend Father Otto and the other priests of the Diocese of Peoria who listen to us, but also in a particular way for John Ayers, who's on his way to Afghanistan, probably sometime today as we're recording this. Um, and just I want to encourage all of our listeners just to pray for John. He's a good man. Um, pray for all of our troops that are out there. But he is a holy man. He's um, we want him back soon. So. Shout out to him. Ask for your prayers. Merry Christmas, John, and Father Otto, and the rest of you guys. Yeah, John, you're the man. He is the man. Dude. Any shout outs for you? Um, the baby Jesus, who's born today. Uh, Mark Kramer. Oh, Mark Kramer, who's back home. Who's back home, and uh, Christy, and the kids, Maria and Therese. Yes. Like, the, you you are a uh, Teresa. Um, you guys are the best, and uh, the best. thanks thanks for consistently actually listening to us. There are, the, there are some of the people that actually listen to us. I know. They keep the podcast. Them and John yeah, keep the podcast John, going. They're like, yay, <laughs> dude. And, and uh, Leslie Alvers. Who oh. else? Who else? Uh, oh, gosh, somebody... The the Canella family. Oh, the Canellas. Uh, who like the Baselli family? The Bacellis. We got some good, yeah, some yeah. good folks. Yeah, dude. My brother. What's up, Your brother? My man. mom. My dad. Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, there was somebody in my mind. They were like, dude, I want to shout out once in my life. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll try to remember by the next podcast. All right. Basically, Scott. By the way, um, the next three podcasts are all just we're just doing them back to back to back, and the we're next releasing two podcasts. them. Yeah, yeah. After this one, mm-hmm. and so we're all we're going to try to do them the same day. We might not get to uh, the <laughs> we're epiphany. Doing our best, you guys. Yeah, we're not going to maybe get to the epiphany, maybe not. But Scott, so if we get batty in the next two podcasts, yeah. then don't hate us. We will get batty, and yeah, just that's what you love about us. Yeah, we, we tend whenever we do these multiple podcasts in a row, we tend to get funnier. That's oh. just my experience. At least in my mind, we get funny. <laughs> Dude, and it's kind of like this. We have to drink a Red Bull between each one. Oh, boy. Saddle up. Saddle up. So I already had one. I haven't yet, so I got to catch up. Yeah. So, But I'm, I'm eating gunny, gummy worms and lime-flavored tortilla chips, <laughs> which I can't eat on the air. I wish I, This is one of those moments where I really wish I'd have put in more chips into my mouth before we started recording. Yep. Because now I'm stuck. Because Ren- Renato things. would yell at you otherwise. Renato would yell at me. And uh, I don't want to be yelled at by Renato. Okay, we start off our first reading in Isaiah 9, 1 through 6. Which is kind of the classic perennial Christmas. The people who sat in great darkness have seen a great light. So we'll get there in a second, but it's it's just such a neat reading. So Isaiah 9, 1 through 6, our psalm is coming from Psalm 96, uh, verses 1 through 2, 2 through 3, 11 through 12, 13. And the response itself is from, ironically, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Which is actually really cool what the church is doing there. So I want to talk about that in a sec. Then our second reading is from Titus. Titus. Titus just sounds like a Roman soldier. It does sound like a Roman soldier. It two, is a Latin name. Yep. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Boom. And our gospel is coming from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas indeed. So dude, Isaiah, we, we got like a section of this, like recently and because like for some reason oh, I, we did yeah and i'm trying to but i couldn't figure it out but that's oh, okay no. we don't need to figure it out no here's what i want to say about this so i was trying to think of something new to say about this because again th- th- so what it says th- at least the way it begins is this the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom a light has shown you have brought them abundant joy and great rejoicing they rejoice with you at the harvest um you know etc cetera, etc cetera. it talks about his name will be wonder counselor god hero father forever prince of peace obviously this is a problem prophecy about the Christ who's coming. But what few people ever do is is kind of look at what precedes this, which is what I want to do right now. Dude, it's I was, really intense. It's real intense because this passage actually begins, and we don't get the first line of it, but this passage, this chapter, begins with either a but or a nevertheless, which always makes you um, ask what comes before the nevertheless. What comes before the but? <laughs> what comes, yeah. It's why I had a literature teacher who always said, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? Ah. So it came before, because it's always a hinge. But I want to, so right, so chapter, well, let's see, what do I say about this? Chapter six, to, to back up a little bit, this is that huge, really important pinnacle moment for Isaiah, when Isaiah, remember, who's living in the midst of this terrible people, Israel is, is taking a huge hit. This is right around the time of the Assyrian invasion, which is coming. And Isaiah is caught up in the throne room of God. And and he says, woe am I, you know, to stand before you. I'm a man of unclean lips. He has the burning coal touched to his lips. And then he's charged to go and give this message. And the message that he's going to give is a pretty bleak message that things are really bad. Things are going to take a huge dive. And right before this passage that we get, it says this. Um... Gosh, there's so much. I'm starting in verse 19 of chapter 8. It says, when men tell you to consult 
um, mediums and spiritualists who whisper and mutter, should not the people inquire of their God? So it's giving this charge against the people of Israel who are not worshiping God. They're worshiping these occult things and other gods and trying to tap into these weird spiritual things and, and you know, hear voices and, and mediums and all, some, all these things. Why, but they're not consulting their God. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they speak according to this word, they have no light distressed and hungry they will roam through the land when they are famished their land they will become enraged and looking up they will curse their king and their god they will look for they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness <laughs> like oh man and then it says nevertheless there will be no more gloom for the ones who have dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. I don't think we can appreciate the full meaning, the full thrust of this Isaiah passage unless you read what came before it, which is basically saying this is going to be the darkest time that you've ever experienced, not in any arbitrary way, but because you've turned your back on God. You've worshiped these other things. You've made yourself God. You've gone after other spiritual realities, you've broken the law. And because of that, you're going to be famished. This hungry people that can only really be fed on the word of God and on God himself are going to try to feed themselves on these other things. So there's going to be kind of a spiritual famine in the land. There will be darkness. They will curse their king and their God because they think that this is... I want to get to that. Hold on to that line. It's in verse 21. They will curse their king and their God. And I have some thoughts about that when we get to the gospel, because I think that's kind of key. Okay, I, w- I want everybody to hold on to this this notion of profound darkness yes. being s- surrounding, because, I, dude, I've got something that's going to light you up that you ain't ever seen Boom. before. I also want everyone to keep in mind that this is literally the reading that the church and her wisdom has chosen for the midnight mass. Midnight. The darkest time. Uh, the darkest mass time, I guess. Darkest night, really, really, ideally, cosmologically, on the darkest day of the year. Exactly right. It, Which like, is actually today, technically. Oh, is it? it today is the first day of winter. Winter. The solstice. Oh. oh. Well, the, at least the day that we're recording this, everybody. Oh. That, <laughs> <laughs> did, did Father Brady w- walked over to the pastoral center without any shoes on, so he didn't know it was the solstice. Uh, or maybe he did. Oh. And so... Anyway, so this is a a really beautiful passage, really clearly about the Christ. But again, I I don't think we can feel the full weight of it unless we realize the darkness. And and even, gosh, there's so many things. You talked about cosmology and the, the idea of darkness. Even the fact, at least in this part of the world where we live, the fact that the church in her wisdom celebrates Christmas, the light of the world coming into the world in the darkest time of the year. I mean, it's just, there's all these built-in reminders in the very nature of creation around us mm-hmm. that speak to what's going on. Right. Right. This is the darkest time of the year. It's the cold, the dark, the just kind of brutal. It's a rough time of year, especially if you're up in Minnesota or Cleveland, <laughs> which I was thinking about Cleveland. I was thinking about the apocalypse this morning oh, that's and how nice. if the apocalypse happened, I wouldn't want to be in Cleveland. <laughs> just because it was sunny and a little bit warm today and i was like man this is kind of nice if the apocalypse happened at least it would be sort of balmy in colorado <laughs> anyway that's neither here nor there so then we get into the psalm yeah where are we let me oh i got it okay the psalm oh psalm 96 yeah this is great so i i love what the church has done in adding the gospel answer to the psalms the psalmist question 
Does that make sense? Okay. So the gospel is so we we get Luke twenty two or Luke two eleven, which is the, For response, the response, which is today is born our Savior Christ the Lord. But the Psalm itself is speaking to the day that the Messiah will come and longing for it and pointing toward it. And uh, oh, I picked up the wrong book. But it's and we've talked about Psalm ninety six before. Um, which is cool. Psalm 96 was among the Psalms that were chosen to be read when the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the new temple. So when Dave, well, David's Wait, son Solomon. Yeah, yeah the, the dedication of the second yeah, temple. Yeah. Which, which is like really just that alone brings this out into this beautiful light because yes. what we're seeing is the new temple. And exactly. So, so we're pointing towards not just having this... Um, this moment of, 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 oh, that was the foreshadowing. No, the, the learning about the new temple was actually meant to point us towards the true temple, which is in Christ's body. And even that, there's all these different layers to, because now look at it liturgically. So that, that's true. Solomon has built this temple. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, into it. Now we know that Jesus, who was born today, is, of course, the new temple. But we also know that we are also temples. So if you think of what's going on at Mass, we're reading this, we're singing this, as we're preparing for our bodies, which Christ has proclaimed our temples, to receive the presence of God in the Eucharist. So, you know, I mean, the, the layers of what's going on here, we are, we're dedicating ourselves in a certain sense back to the Lord because we will become the house for this Christ who has come among us, who has taken on flesh, who has actually become bread and now is going to be housed in us, just like the presence of God is now housed in this temple. So it's it's beautiful that um, the church, it's one of those times when the church is explicit. And they're like, if you, in case you missed it, it is the birth of Christ that this is pointing toward. Yes. Today is born our Savior, Christ the Lord. So get your temple ready because we're dedicating it at this Mass right. in a new way, in a way that we we do every week, but but look at it with new eyes today because this is Christmas. Does that make sense? Totally makes That's sense. That's kind of cool. And that takes us to Titus. Titus. Titus is one of those books we just don't read very much in the liturgy. Titus was um, uh, Titus was bishop or priest. Well, remember in the very beginning, uh, every priest was a, in a certain sense a bishop. Every yeah. bishop has always been a priest, but in the beginning, a, a, a bishop was just a priest who over uh, episcopos, right? Is we talk about episcopal stuff. Episcopos mean the overseer. So it was a priest who was chosen to oversee probably more than one church. And, and by overseer, we don't mean uh, you know uh, somebody. The Somebody in a uh, like a a jet an a a thirty one or whatever that is or or a sniper in that case we we don't mean those things <laughs> right no we mean somebody who has a C it's really funny because that's how actually we talk about um, the Roman C yeah or, yeah or the C of Denver yeah yeah literally I mean yep. Denver was once a C by the way is it actually. not a C no, I mean, it is a C. A S-E-A. Yeah. Ah, it has an A, oh not an E. Gosh. Come on. I mean, you can find it out. Bible trivia time. Do you know where Titus was bishop? Um, in Titan. <laughs> right. No, he was bishop of Crete. Oh. So remember that long kind of strippy island off of the, the yeah, coast of Greece? I always thought he was a Cretan. He is a Cretan. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's a he's an immigrated Cretan. Yeah. So it, this is one of the what's called the pastoral epistles. So the church tends to lump together first and second Timothy and then Titus because they're both uh, all three of them are letters written by Paul to a pastor or a bishop that he left behind in one of the churches he founded. So he writes Timothy to Timothy who was the bishop of Ephesus. Titus is is a very similar kind of letter to uh, Titus who we left in Greece. It's actually really cool though because 
talking about this king who is going to be born, the light who is going to come into the darkness, uh, all of these things that Isaiah and the psalm are preparing us for, this royal language. And remember, in the mind of the Israelites, royalty and religion are not separable. The church and state, they're, they're one and the same. So, I mean, when you're talking about liturgical things and the dedication of the temple, it's the king who does this. So they're, they're tied together. The thing that's kind of cool about the pastoral epistles is that Paul, when he writes these, sort of usurps the language of the Roman government. So when Caesar was going to put a new governor, a new leader in a particular place, he would write these letters um, with imperial language, basically bestowing his imperial authority on these. <laughs> Hold on, give us a for a second. <laughs> yeah, so, um, see. See. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what Paul is actually doing is using the exact same language imperial language to bestow his authority, not as the emperor, but as a bishop, as an apostle on these guys who he's leaving in charge. Because what he's trying to show subtly is that, not so subtly really, is that this is a new kind of a kingdom. Right. He is the new, he's not the emperor. Jesus is the emperor. He has had authority bestowed on him. And Paul is now bestowing it on someone else because there is a new kingdom. There's a new royalty. This is the moment that uh, the Old Testament has been preparing us for. And basically he, he, it, it's so neat. I mean, this is where Advent and Christmas, it's its its a weird kind of liturgical reality because our readings are all preparing us for Christ coming into the world. But then we jump into the New Testament and we have our second reading, which is preparing us for Christ coming again. Because there's going to be a new, there's going to be a second Advent. There's a second incarnation in a certain sense, or third, I guess. Well, Jesus is always incarnate in, in the in sense the of the Eucharist and the church. But he's going to come again in the same way he came originally. So the second reading is always kind of looking forward to that, especially during Advent. It's just a strange thing because we're being prepared for the first coming, but then we're also simultaneously being prepared for the second coming, right. which is what this letter is doing. But it's doing it within the context and within the structures of the new kingdom, which was prophesied. So now from within that place, we look forward in this new way that, that the old covenant people never were able to do. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. He's also doing it partially because... You know, whenever Paul leaves somebody behind, he has to prove to the congregation that, yeah, these guys are legit, because this is always the problem of the church. Paul will go, he'll found these churches, and then he's always terrified of the different people that are going to come in and maybe confuse people or mislead people, et cetera, et cetera. So this letter, although it's to Titus, it's designed to have been read in the liturgy so that everyone hears what Paul is saying to Titus, so that they know, they all hear with their own ears, oh yeah, Paul is giving his authority to this guy, we need to follow him. Yeah. And that's what Christ does for us. He gives his authority to the church so that we have something tangible to look to as we as we look toward the second coming. Make sense? Totally. That's my thought on that. Which gets us into Luke. Luke. Which I've been waiting for. All right. But partly Let us be- have it. Because, like, you know, th- there's a couple of images in the midst of this mm. that are that are always like questions and, and that I think, I mean, you can look and overall there's some really cool things that we can draw out. Yeah. Um, but one of them, I was looking at the, the notion of swaddling clothes. Swaddling. Have you ever, have you ever looked for swaddling clothes? No, but I have swaddled You've children sw- in clothes. Swaddled in children in clothes. Yeah. Well, there's really only a couple places that sw- swaddling clothes ever show up in scripture. Pinterest. 
Pinterest. There's a lot of pins on swaddle blankets. Oh, didn't. ironically enough, I'm it's strange that I know that, but I do. Dude, is that the, is that your only engagement on on Pinterest? It's one of them. <laughs> Although we get constant emails <laughs> because of you <laughs> setting up a Pinterest page. Which we've never used. And I know that you're behind it because I always get these emails about pins having to do with woodworking and motorcycles. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I get it. Uh, But swaddling clothes. Talk um, to me. Uh, if you look in Job, Job, Job's, uh, there, there's a moment in Job where God answers Job for the first time. And he's okay. starting to talk to him about what everything that he's done to like set up all the different things. Okay. So it's, he's like, um, you know, the Lord, uh, answered oh, you mean Job in creation? Yeah. 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 Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird Ooh. up your loins like a man. Ooh. Where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Do you yeah, understand? God's ticked off here. Yeah, but then he goes He goes um, in uh, Job 38, verse 9. When I made clouds, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling clothes. Hmm. Thick darkness. Thick darkness the people, the swaddling the people who are swaddled in darkness have a have new... Seen a great light. Yeah, and... <laughs> but this is That's the thing. a weird is, image. Isn't that a, isn't that a weird image? It's, that, it's appropriate, though, because when you... Sw- I mean, what I know about parenthood, we had these swaddling blankets because kids really are comfortable being swaddled, but it's the idea you're going to get it as tight as you can, and they're just enclosed and enwrapped. And, and it's a good thing in swaddling clothes, but the idea of being swaddled in darkness, it, the idea of constriction and tightness and... and Constriction, I think, is the best word. Yeah, yeah. The darkness constricts us. Yes, it constricts us, and that's actually the why is the why there's we're already starting this kenosis, the mm. the the, the self emptying of Christ yeah. is is the light is now actually swaddled in darkness. Wow. And so we we see like where the is light he? is swaddled in darkness. Ooh. Yeah, and so so then then Ezekiel is the other um is the other expression. Okay. Hold on, where is Ezekiel? Come on, Ezekiel. Oh, I shoot, I lost the reference. Um but then the oh, it's it's the moment where it's talking about um uh, the adoption of mm. Israel as this kind of like child abandoned that isn't swaddled, yeah, that isn't yeah, actually, yeah. actually cared for. So it's, so it's actually these two moments of these wow. images, which of, is its own kind of darkness. Yeah, and so we have this where where which is just really mm. it's really intense actually. Even the notion of the swaddling, because Christ has actually taken this on, and we wow. see you know, Jesus, <clears throat> the true bread from heaven is lying in a manger, which is where animals feed. Oh, in the feed box. In the feed box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so you have this really kind of wild image and that's that's where it's like Christ from the very beginning. And then you also see in the swaddling clothes an image of Christ actually wrapped in his death. Yes. Yeah, being absolutely. Being prepared for his resurrection in this next, in the, in the in this kind of incarnation of Christ in the world and the church from his resurrected body. Absolutely. So even just, I don't know, you could take one moment of swaddling clothes, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. And and then the other image that I had, oh, go ahead. You're no, about to no, say go something. for it. The I'll, other I'll image that I had was, was, was the notion of being betrothed. Hmm. There's only actually two other times in the scriptures that we talk about being betrothed. Okay. Um, it specifically with that with the yeah, word, yeah. word link, which is in Deuteronomy, which is this really these laws surrounding oh right the the um, kind of um, virginity and ex- expression around uh, one who's betrothed or not betrothed. Okay, and then you have Hosea, which is God oh. actually betrothing right. 
uh, in a new way, Israel. So, so is Hosea the one where Hosea is commanded to marry a, a prostitute? No, that's Ezekiel. I think Hosea's as well. Really, Hosea's yeah. as well. Yeah, which I is believe so. Which is interesting because that's actually that's the section of 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 Ezekiel that we start to talk about, which is really cool. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Gosh, that's interesting. I know. I'd never. I mean, like, I'd never seen. I, I love this notion of swaddling clothes being the thick darkness and the answer to profound suffering, and like, yeah, because because that's actually like God is answering for the sufferings in this way, and we see now this link back all the way to Job, which some would argue is, is some of the earliest writing. Right. Absolutely. It, yeah. Well, it also it also strikes you that. Oh my gosh, the fact that it references back to Ezekiel and Job. Job, I mean, who just is the sorrowful figure who is just just oh. beat up, and Ezekiel, who is the one one of those. He, even though he was uh, pretty, he you know middle level of society basically, but but he experiences being hauled off into exile and is made to humiliate himself through all these prophetic acts to show the people what they're doing wrong. It, it's so the whole one of the big themes of Luke. Luke's gospel is the idea of ironic reversals. Things are never what you'd expect. Right. And so as you have, which which those references show you that maybe you should have expected that because that's sort of how God's story has worked. But, you know, you have all these prophecies about this king being born, the light is coming into the world, but it's happening in the least likely place. It's happening with this baby swaddled. You know, the idea of swaddling should be familiar, but it's not familiar that he should be born to this peasant couple. And it was the shepherds that were actually going to be proclaimed to one of the first people to be proclaimed of this. And, and all these things that are, that are just not what you'd expect. But I was thinking about this and we we know about, and Mary's Magnificat, right? right, Which she prays as soon as the annunciation happens, it's all about reversals. He's brought the hungry down or he's filled the hungry. He sent the rich away empty. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's lifted up the lowly. It's all reversals of things. And then, you know, here, the, the king of kings, the light of the world is being born in this, in the least, in the last place you'd expect. But mm. I was thinking about this and I was trying to link it back to the first reading. And I'm thinking about, remember I told you to hang on to that line from Isaiah chapter eight, right before our reading that said, they will curse their king and their God right. in this time of darkness. We're living, well, this is speaking to this time of darkness. That's when Jesus was born. And look at how this reading actually begins in this, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, who's Caesar Augustus? Ruler of the whole world. Their king, right? Who do most people in the world hate? <laughs> Caesar Augustus. Right. Because he was, you know, he did especially the Jewish people. Because he was an imperialist. What, did, what was one of the things that Caesar Augustus commanded the people to do? To worship him as God. Now, I'm not trying to stretch this too much, but Isaiah is saying, in these dark times, they're going to curse their king and their God. Well, their king is Caesar, and Herod on top of that, and Herod was maybe even more hated than Caesar. They're cursing their king. Their kings have actually become their gods because they made themselves their gods. And once you take your eyes off of God, once you change the emphasis and start worshiping idols, those things will begin to destroy you and eat you alive, which is what Caesar and Herod are doing. I mean, we're, we're, uh, this isn't a metaphor anymore. They're living literally in a time when they are cursing their king and the one who claims to be their God and the person who they worship as God, who has turned out to be this evil one who devours them. They're cursing king and God. Simultaneously, the true king and God is being born, not in the imperial city, not in Jerusalem, not in Rome, but out in this probably a cave, most likely, yeah. out in Nowheresville outside of Bethlehem. Not even in Bethlehem. He's on the outskirts. He's outside of town in a cave. It's this 
incredible reversal, but it's so explicit as to what's being reversed. The structure of the world is literally being undermined. The structure of the world is this imperial structure with Caesar at the top, who is worshipped as a god, with the structure of kings and governors, some of whom are also worshipped underneath him, and that whole spiritual and political system is being undermined by a baby in the darkness in a manger in a cave, wrapped in swaddling clothes, surrounded by darkness, hmm. on whom light is shining. Hmm. But I was just struck by the imagery of how profound that is. And again, yeah. what, the, uh, what the New Testament teaches us is that these are the things that we are to look to again. Now, we live as people of the light, but once again, we're in a period where darkness is trying to envelop us. And light darkness is trying to envelop the church and her people and all of these things. It's never going to win. It's not going to succeed. But the one thing that it can succeed in doing is throwing us off and making us think that it's succeeding. And the message is to show that Christ has already undermined the whole system. He's already undermined the, this age or the way that the world works or the leaders of this present age, as Paul says. He's already torn down the structures. So what have we to be afraid of in a certain mm, sense? Yeah. Which is cool. Super cool. So that's the closing of this passage. So the respond, the only proper response is what the heavenly host, the angels are saying, which is glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor rests. So when we look out in the world, we see the darkness, we see the power structures, we see the things that freak us out. The proper response is, well, glory to God in the highest, because yeah. he is there. He has enveloped and, and destroyed the darkness. The light has already been wrapped and handed to us, literally on a platter. We're given him every day, every Sunday. And so glory to God. Glory to God. Merry Christmas. That's orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. Right? Glory, baby. Oh, oh, do doxa, yeah. Glory. Yeah. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. May you not be shrouded in gloom. The Lord has taken it and has exploded it with light because it's the, the light. Um, I mean, light just overcomes darkness by its very nature. Absolutely. So may you be truly enlightened by our Lord. And enjoy your eggnog. Eggnog. We'll see you on Sunday. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.